We're going to spend some time in the word of God today, and we trust that you will be uh, a, a beneficiary of what God has said to us. Now, vacation season is over. Sorry, guys, vacation season's over. We're back to work. We're back to school. I hope you did have some good time away this summer. We had a little bit of time off. We usually take a little more, but, you know, we were kind of distracted, so we were here more than not. Vacations are are a good time. We had an interesting little thing, a little observation that I want to just kind of share with you on our last vacation. So we're we're sitting in the cottage, and uh, we, we ran out of water. So Susie went to town, and she bought a case of water. And um, when I'm really busy, I don't notice the details. But when I get time to relax, I start to look around, and I notice the details. So there's this case of water sitting on our, our table. And I'm at the other end of the table, and I'm drinking a bottle of water. And I'm noticing how many labels are on this case of water. I don't remember what the brand was, but there were several labels on this case of water, like Canadian sourced or pure spring water or made from recycled plastic or portions of the proceeds from the sale of this water are going to go to digging wells in some faraway country. And there there was a couple more. I can't even remember them, but I was sitting there thinking, and someone has gone to a lot of work to try to convince me that I should drink this water and actually feel good about it. Someone's put a lot of energy and time into the simple commodity of water. And, and why is it that stuff like that works? Because we live in a recycling world. And, it, and that's good. It's good for us not to waste our resources, not to waste food, not to waste water. There, there's just something in us. It's like, I, I don't want to waste anything. There's, there's something about wasting food. I mean, that's not cool. There's something about polluting or wasting water that just eh, it rubs against the grain of the Canadian psyche. But greater than that, and often overlooked, we should be deeply concerned if ever, even for a moment, we find ourselves in a place where we are wasting our greatest resource and gift, which is the gift of our very lives. Far be it from us to come to the end of our lives and to look back and say, you know what? I actually think I wasted my life. I invested it all in myself, my frivolous pursuits, my own dreams and goals. I don't think I invested in other people. I don't think I honored God. I think I probably pushed him aside. Far be it from us to come to the end of our lives and say, you know what? I think I wasted this short life that God has given to us. You know, our lives are just a little wedge of time, just a little slice of time jammed in between two endless eternities. Far be it from us to ever want to waste the precious, the gracious gift of life that God has given to us. And so this is what I want to chat with you about a little bit today. We have this building now, and we believe that this building is a sacred stewardship. It's a sacred trust. God has entrusted it to us. Our name is legally on the deed. That's true. But God owns it. This is God's space. This is God's city. This is God's world. We didn't make this world, this universe. God made it. And God has stewarded it it to us along with our families, our relationships, our money, our health, 
even our intellect. God has stewarded these things to us. He's entrusted them to us for us to use well. So here's what I want to talk about today. Your life is a sacred trust. And one day, according to the Bible, you will be held accountable to steward it well. So as we begin to use this building, let's just kind of step back and think about how are we stewarding this building? How are we stewarding our lives? How are we stewarding all the gifts that God has given to us? And so I want to take you to a parable in the Gospels. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus delivers lots of parables. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 12. And this really is a parable about stewardship. And it's kind of forcing us to ask and answer the question, am I stewarding my life to bring great fame to God? Or is it possible that I'm, I'm wasting my life? I'm throwing my life away. Now, a parable, by the way, is essentially an earthy story with a heavenly meaning. So when you enter into parables, you often see words like, like. It'll, it'll say something about a human situation or circumstance or celebration. And then there's the word like in there. And it wants you to try to draw the connections. To connect the dots, so to, will, so to speak. Between the earthly story and the heavenly meaning. So let's look at Luke chapter 12. These scripture passages are going to be on the screen. And uh, as we enter into it, the scenario is a first century wedding. So we do weddings a little different today, obviously, than they did 2,000 years ago. But 2,000 years ago, weddings were done a little differently. And this is the parable of the wedding of a very wealthy man. So this guy's got like this big estate. He's got all kinds of servants and there's kind of a hierarchy among the servants. Some are managers of his household and he goes off to celebrate his wedding. Exciting times. And he entrusts his affairs to his stewards. It's like, okay, guys, I trust you. I'm going to give you all this. I'm going to be gone for a while, but eventually I'm coming back. If you don't mind, take care of my stuff. So that's the scenario. And by the way, just to tip you off, the owner of the estate represents God. And the managers of the estate, that's us. We are managing this world. The Bible says in Genesis, we are to have dominion over it, rulership. We are to manage this world on God's behalf. But never confuse the difference between a manager and the true owner. So let's enter into Luke chapter 12. I'm going to start reading at verse 35. It says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. In other words, keep the lights on. I'm coming home soon. And be like, there's that word, tells us it's a parable. Be like. Men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they can open the door to him at once when he comes in and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. In other words, be ready. I'm coming back. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table 
and he will come and serve them. So this is like super awesome because God, who's pictured in the text as the master, says, I'm going to come back and I want you to honor me. I want the lights to be on. I want you to open the door for me. I want you to escort me into my house. But then the, 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 the roles change. And the master's like, hey, guess what I'm going to do if you've stewarded my possessions well? I'm going to honor you. I'm going to put on a feast for you. I'm going to have you sit down at the table. I'm going to wait on you. Isn't that an awesome thing about God? Our God is a God that calls us to bow to him and to worship him and to serve him. And when we do, guess what he does? He serves us. He blesses us. He pours into us. This is the awesome thing about serving the God of the Bible. Verse 38 says, if then he comes in the second watch or the third, so these would be like in ancient times, it would be designated periods during the night when someone would get up and sort of go around and make sure the affairs were in order and no one was stealing the sheep in the back pasture. If he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Again, who's the master? That's God. Who are the servants? That's me. That's you. And then verse 39 says, but know this. So there's a lesson to be had. That if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Think about this. We have a camera system on our church. We have a security system. Why? Because we don't want thieves coming in here and stealing our stuff. And likewise, you have the same sort of security measures, I'm sure, in your house. You don't want people just coming in and stealing your stuff. You prepare yourself for it. But if you had some sort of genius ability to predict other people's behavior, and you could always predict when a thief might come, you wouldn't need a security system, would you? You could leave the doors open, the windows unlatched. You wouldn't have to have a security system or cameras or anything like that. But we don't. And so we're always prepared. We don't know when the thief's coming, but we want to be prepared. We don't know when the thief's coming, but we've taken the precautions and measures. Now look at the tie-in here. Verse 40. You also must be ready for the Son of Man, that's a title of Jesus, is coming at an hour you do not expect. So here's where we're moving from parable to real life. The parable is the thief. The real life is Jesus is coming back anytime. There's some that think this world is going to end in like like, like a nuclear holocaust. Nope, it won't. There are others that are concerned that we're going to have a collision with an asteroid, and that's going to wipe us all out. That ain't going to happen. The end of the world is going to come when Jesus Christ returns to call the faithful unto himself. That's going to usher in the end time events and the end of this world. And so God is calling his servants to be ready, to be prepared. So in the Bible here, when it uses the word waiting, it's not literally waiting for a groom to show up after his wedding. But it's a call and a reminder for us to be ready for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're going to steward your life, well, apparently what we need to do is we need to take seriously the brevity of our lives. 
Our lives are not going to last very long. The Bible says on average, we're going to live three score and 10, which is old lingo for 70 years in Canada. We live to about 80. Now here's a scary way of thinking about that. I've shared this before in sermons and every time I do, I get people like shuffling in their seat because it's kind of weird to think about. But if you think of your life in terms of percentages, I am like way more than 50% used up. It's like gulp. I'm over the hill and going down the other side. Now, some of you might be at like 20% or I don't know, 90%. You might think you're at 20 and you're actually at 90. Who knows? But life is brief. Life goes by so fast. In spite of how short our lives are. One day, Jesus is going to hold us to account for the way we've stewarded the life that he entrusted to us. My body, my mind, my money, my marriage, my children actually belong to God. And so does this church. And God will one day return and call us back. So this is kind of countercultural because We knowingly or unknowingly have voices whispering in our ears. You hear them? Like, no, I don't hear any voices whispering in my ear. Oh, you do. Those voices are whispering in your ears in the educational institutions you've attended. They're whispering in your ears in the television shows you watch, the movies you attend, the social media you uh, observe. They're whispering in your ears in conversations you have with people. These, there's a lot of voices out there that are trying to tell us what makes us valuable. What makes us purposeful? It's like, what, what is my life for? Have we not all thought about that? What am I here for? Like what, what is the purpose of my 70 or 80 year existence? And some of the most common voices that have whispered in my ears and your ears include the following. Let's just kind of identify them. One would be the voice that says, Aaron, it's all about you, man. It's all about you. Life revolves around you. I mean, there's, there's no shortage of your special t-shirts to be found in our clothing stores. Find your potential, reach your max, yada, yada, yada. And these are voices whispering in our ears that say, what is life all about? Life is about you. Get what you can. Conquer whoever you can. Because at the end of the day, life revolves around good old-fashioned you. Well, that doesn't allow for a whole lot of love or generosity or mercy or grace towards others, does it? Because if life revolves around me, why would I ever give you anything? Unless you're going to give me something greater in return. Why would I ever forgive you when you've offended me? This is actually an impossible way to live our lives. A dog-eat-dog world is not a fun place to live. But it's a message we often hear, both subtly and not so subtly. Or another message would be, it's not about you, it's about what you do. In other words, you're not valuable because you're made in the image and likeness of God. You are valuable based upon what you produce and how you contribute to society. So if you're a big producer, you're a big... contributor to society. Hey, we're going to give you the thumbs up. But if you are not such a big producer, you don't have a lot to offer. You don't have 
the words, the mind, the skills, the money to offer them. Who cares about you? We're going to make you a footnote in our society. That's a message we hear though. A third message would be, Hey, you know what life's ultimately about? It's about fun. It's about pleasure. So think about it. You're in, you're in grade school and you're going to class every day. And and what is it you're looking forward to? Recess, lunch, the second recess, summer vacation. It's not about math and science. It's about fun. And then you enter into the work world. You're like, man, thank God it's Friday. Because now you're living for the weekend. It's like work, that's a drag. And so many people fail to find any redemptive value in their jobs. They just have no idea. It's just all about the weekend. And then after you finish your work career, what are you looking forward to? Retirement. Time in the golf course. Let's go. It's always about what comes next. It's always about fun. And there's a lot of effort put into trying to convince you that at the end of the day, your life is about how much fun you have. A fourth message would be that your worth is found in your net worth. So if you're rich and wealthy, if you're prosperous, we're going to kind of push you to the front of the pack. We're going to elect you or appoint you as our leader. We're going to give you extra honor. And there's a lot of pressure then to perform, to try to keep up. If that's where your worth is. Or another more modern one was how many likes did you get on your Instagram picture? Right? And there's this temptation to check it. Are people following me? Are they interested? They actually care about the fact that I just took my dog for a walk. Where are you finding your value? There are voices whispering in your ear. These are the things that make you valuable. These are the things that make life worthwhile. You know what that's called? That's called horizontal living. That's called living for the moment, living for the temporal, trying to jam as much as you can into your 70 or 80 years. But we call ourselves a vertical church because what we're constantly reminding each other of, and I'm reminding myself of right now as I preach this message, is that my life needs to be a vertically oriented life. I need to live in the here and now, but with a sense of There is a future. There is a reckoning day. There is a God who created me. I am his steward. I am his manager. I own Jack squat. I own nothing. And here's what we say in our church. You know what the greatest enemy of stewardship is? Ownership. Ownership is the enemy of stewardship. So a visual that might help is you take your hand and you cup it. And you picture in your hand the sum total of your life. You picture in your hand, your wife, your husband, your children, your opportunities, your money, your church, your relationships, your society, the things that you have stewardship over. And yes, you want to be responsible for those things. You want to hold them. You want to observe them. But as soon as you start to do this, close the old hand up, hold on tight. You've ceased to be a steward and you're trying to be the owner of something that doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. None of us chose to be born. None of us chose to be created. 
That was in God's sovereign will. Here's what the Bible says in Luke 17, 33. And this is super counterculture. You ready for this? These are words from Jesus. In fact, when you read them at first, it's like, huh? Does it make sense? Jesus said, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, meaning for the cause of the kingdom, will keep it. Isn't that amazing? It's like a paradox. It's the opposite of what you expect. It's kind of startling and disarming. If I say, you know what my life's all about? It's about me. It's about my church. It's about my role. It's about me, 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 me. And you exist to make me happy and on and on and on and on. I lose it. But when I learn to see my life as a sacred stewardship, and I'm like, okay, Lord, what? What have you given to me to take care of on your behalf? I'm able to pour into people's lives. I become less defensive. I become less stressed. You know, one of the greatest causes of stress and anxiety are ownership. Thinking I got to make this happen. I got to, I got to fix this. I got to manage these people. Like, you know, you're just a steward, man. You're just a manager. And the owner's not going to thrust on you any more than you can handle. So just take care of what you have. Take a deep breath. Pray a little bit. And allow God to take care of the rest. So applied to this building, of course, this property is not ours. It belongs to God. And this is why we say it's for his glory. That sounds churchy, I know. But it's in the Bible. So what that means essentially is that we want God to be made famous here. That's what it's about. We want God to shine. We want people to come in and not just say, you know, the people were friendly. Coffee was okay. Seat was comfortable. Music was good. We want people to say, I encountered God. I feel that God showed up, manifested his presence, convicted me or encouraged me or rebuked me or taught me or instructed me or cleared some of the cobwebs out of my confused mind, challenged me. That's what we're looking for. The story is told. It's been around for a long time. Man goes to counselor, sitting in the counseling office. And I, like my life is so depressing. I am stressed out. I am anxious. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it another day. I mean, I'm telling you, doctor, it is, it is not going well for me. Can you help me? And the counselor's at the other end of the table, and he's super wise and super insightful. And he sees into this man's heart and mind and determines that that what this man's problem is, is he doesn't have enough fun. And so he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the casino. They have a comedian in for like two weeks. This guy is hilarious. I mean, he's leaving people rolling in the aisles. What you need, here's my prescription. I want you to go have some fun. There's no response. Just an awkward pause. They're looking each other in the eye. And finally, the counselee says to the counselor, I'm the comedian. You can be the center of attention, the funny guy. Smart guy, the beautiful girl, the successful business person. But deep down in each of our hearts, we're honest. There is a lack of satisfaction. There is a void 
We would call it a God-shaped void because you are made in his image and his likeness. And until the creator takes up residence in the creature, the creature always feels a little hollow. And they're like, I'm going to live for the weekend. I'm going to live for retirement. Then you get there like, this isn't all, all that fun. This vacation was kind of expensive. This retirement's kind of boring. But when God shows up and God moves you from horizontal living to vertical living, it life takes on a whole new dimension. It doesn't mean life is perfect, but you get a glimpse of heaven and your truest purpose. So why reject ownership and embrace stewardship? Here's a reason because stewardship leads to blessing in verse 42. The Lord said, so now he's starting, starting to interpret the parable for them. Although we've already got some hints about that. He said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. And all the original recipients are like leaning in. Yeah. Who is this person? Who's this person that gets the, the banquet and the blessings from the master? I want some of that. Like, who is that person? And God says this, blessed is the servant, the steward, the manager, whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over his, all his possessions. Who gets the blessing? Who gets the promotion? It's the wise and faithful manager. God rewards those that get it. God rewards those that understand, yeah, I, Good reminder. I'm a steward. I'm a manager. I got to stop pretending like I own everything. I don't. God rewards that. Now, not in a mathematical sense. So let's not like play games with God. Like I'm going to make a deal, God. I'm going to give you a buck. If you give me 10, I'm going to give you an hour. If you give me an extra year of life, I'm going to start going to church. If you, whatever, right. Find me a gorgeous wife, whatever. No, it's not like, Oh, I, now I know the key to start unlocking the door to manipulate God. It's not that. It's just fact. When you learn to live your life as a stewardship, God blesses sometimes in the temporal in this life, always in the eternal in the next life. God has a blessing in store for you. Now picture this. I'm holding onto a shovel. I know some of you are hard of seeing, so you can't see the shovel, but the rest of you can see the shovel. See the shovel. Okay. So I got my shovel. And on the stage in front of me is a big pile of all of the things God has given to me, my wife, my children, my 46 years of life so far, any dollars that are in my bank, my ministry, my church ministry, all of that. These are my, this pile represents my time, my talents and my treasures. And I love this pile. Great pile. Thank you for it. But then I'm like, actually, I don't own it. So I got a shovel. God's given me a shovel. And my job is to take scoops out of the time, talents, and treasures that God has given to me. And bless other people with it. And bless God to pour out my life for others. Here it is. Some of you have a really big mountainous pile. Some of you may be a small one. I, I take my shovel and I disperse it. And guess what God does? God also has a shovel. Guess who has the bigger shovel? God has an eternal shovel. And the idea here in the text is, look, I'm just asking you to steward what I've given you. 
but I don't have enough. You just steward what you've been given. In the end, I'm going to bless you with life eternal. That's a really big pile of blessing that God is going to give, give to us. And in that place, further blessings commensurate to the way that you have stewarded your time, your talents, and your treasure. So you waste them, and God takes his little teaspoon out, gives it to you. You use your life for the cause of Christ, and God gets out his bulldozer. I remember this church, as Susie mentions, the women's life director, that's my wife, if you're wondering. Um, I remember when there was two people in this church, Susie and I, and it was an idea. And then we built our team to 23 adults, I think it was. And we had 11 or 12 kids running around. And Susie and I were still having kids. Our third child was born in the process of launching this church. He was playing the drums today. So if you're ever like, how old is the church again? Just go ask Levi. Okay? How old are you, Levi? He was born during that process. Funny story. He was actually born on the night that we were interviewing an elder to join our launch team. It's like elder leaves, Susie's water breaks, and Levi's there within hours. So it was pretty interesting. But I remember when there was, there was two of us and there was 23 of us. And then we launched, we went public. And we had maybe, I don't know, 100, 150 people or something at one point. And a gentleman in our church came up to me and he said, Aaron, I believe God will bless us more and give us a greater stewardship if we just stay faithful to what we have. Now, spiritually, I was like, yeah, man, right on. Humanly, I was like, yeah, I'd kind of like some more now. But I'll never forget that. And it's true that now God has stewarded to us hundreds of people. And some churches have more and some have less. Who cares? But we want every seat here to be a blessing. And if God brings a person into this church that needs a special touch from God, we want to introduce him to the God that can offer that special touch. If someone's broken, we want to help them to find new life and healing in Christ. If someone's lonely, we want to connect them to relationships. We say in our church, a lonely person is an emergency. We want people to connect. We want people to find relationships here. We want people to know that they're loved. And yes, we're going to fail you. Okay, we're not a perfect church. We will fail you. But then we're going to repent. We're going to try again to serve you and to bless you. We want this place to be a blessing for people's lives to be impacted by the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ. Now in this parable, there's also a negative lesson. And ah, should I preach the negative lesson? Uh, Yeah, I should because it's there. You ready for a negative lesson? So this is going to, this is a little bit, I'm not going to say it's rated R, but it's kind of like a PG part of the text. There's some, some imagery here that's a little bit out of the norm. And it may challenge your view that Jesus is just this big old softy. You know, they say that a lot of men don't want to go to church because they think Jesus is kind of like weak and soft. He doesn't have any teeth. Well, this is going to challenge that image because here God is presented both as a God of blessing, but also a God that doesn't mind giving you a good smack when you don't do what he's called you to do. So before we enter into this, let me just kind of prep us for it by saying, what do you do 
when you catch a thief? What do you do with a thief? You arrest him. He goes to jail. He gets charged. And we're like, that's justice. What do you do with an employee that steals from her company, that disobeys her boss? You fire her. We're like, that should happen. That's just. You've been, you've taken something you didn't own or you've mishandled a sacred trust. You deserve to be punished for that. And and that's essentially what God is about to say to us, that wasting life leads to consequences. You don't get to the end and say, I wasted my life, but eh, whatever, no consequence to that. There's consequences because God has given it to you. So back in verse 41, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples says, Lord, are are you telling this parable for us or for all? Now, I, I was thinking about this this week. Why did Peter ask that question? Is this for like your immediate followers who kind of know better? Or is this for like all of humanity? And it does kind of make you wonder. I actually don't know. But knowing a little bit about Peter, I kind of have a sneaky suspicion. It might be a way of trying to get himself off the hook a little bit. You know, we're all kind of in the same boat, Jesus. I mean, I know you're kind of pouring it on right now, but, you know, look at everybody else. Why does it all have to be on me to steward my possessions for you? I think that might be, might be what's going on. But regardless, it raises the question, who does this apply to? And Jesus, as is often true of Jesus, doesn't directly answer the question. He doesn't say, oh, all or some. But the way he answers it makes it clear that it's actually for everybody. Every human being is a steward on some level of God as an image bearer. And there's going to be greater punishment for deliberately wasting your life if you know better. Verse 45 then says, and if that servant says to himself, well, my master's delayed in coming. I mean, he's supposed to be on his honeymoon for a week and now he's been gone for a month. Eh, what am I going to do? He begins to beat his subordinates, the male and female servants, and he eats and he drinks and he gets drunk. What a jerk. Are you kidding me? You've been stewarded someone else's possessions and that's how you treat people. And that's how you treat your master's possessions. Yeah. What's going to happen next. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour, he does not know. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Wow. That's kind of harsh. Goes on to say, and that servant You can kind of underline this part in your mind who knew his master's will. He knew better, but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. And the one who did not know, in other words, the ignorant and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. So the point is, is everybody is a steward and everybody Jesus followers, people don't follow Jesus. Everybody is going to have to give an account for the way they've stewarded their lives. But especially to his followers. I mean, we know better. We have clarity that God has called us to serve him and not serve ourselves. Now, why this, why this harsh language? Because you stopped yawning. Because you stopped looking around. Because you stopped almost falling asleep. I mean, didn't it not arrest your attention? 
It arrests your attention. That's what God wants you to do, wants from this text. He wants to arrest your attention. Blowing your life, wasting your life is a serious offense to God. It's a serious offense to God because it's his life that he's entrusted to you to use for his purposes. And if you don't use it for his purposes, that's a waste. Did you know that four out of every hundred people born on planet earth will die before their fifth birthday? Did you know that 39% of people living on planet earth today cannot read or write? Did you know that 3 billion people on our planet, as we speak, live on less than $2 and 50 cents a day? Here we are. So blessed. Therefore, accountable in an even greater way to use our time and our talents and treasures to point people up, to live their lives for the honor and glory of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Never apologize for being blessed if it comes from God. Nothing wrong with being blessed because it's from God. And God gives some people a greater amount of blessing. But what God is looking for is like, how do you use the pile of blessing that he has given to you? Shame, how shameful it is to waste a sacred trust or (laughs) to abuse it for our own pleasure. You know, people do that in ministry. This is why a lot of people, I don't want to go to church. You're a bunch of ripoff artists. Well, it's true. You can make money in religion. You can manipulate people. You can rip people off. We hear these stories. This doesn't mean that God is flawed or the concept of a biblical church is flawed, but people are flawed and they can lose sight of what it's actually all about. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to lose sight of that. This is not about my glory, your glory, our glory. We have a stewardship and other stewardships bigger. And we want to humbly steward everything that God has given to us for his honor and glory. You know, our father is constantly assessing how we use our things. And he's going to assess us in terms of how we use this facility too. And if we use it for his honor and glory, I believe he will continue to entrust us with more. So here's three things for you to consider three points of application for you to consider as we wind up. The first one is this, the question that would be valuable for you to start thinking about if you're not already on a regular basis, weekly, monthly, for the rest of your life is the basic question of, am I living as a steward? Just do a little assessment. Am I living as a steward or I kind of fall into the trap of thinking it's about me or it's about what I do or it's about my net worth or it's about whatever. Or do I actually get the idea that I am a steward entrusted with a brief life to point people to God? If you're a human, you're a steward. Opening chapters of the Bible, we're made in the image likeness of God. What does that mean? We have dominion over the world. We rule on his behalf. That's a steward. But true stewardship opens up and takes on greater meaning when we surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ. 
When we acknowledge we've actually been poor stewards, we've wasted our time. We are innately selfish. You got a little tiny, tiny baby. I've had five of them. You never have to teach a little baby how to be selfish. They just know. And God says that's because we're sinners. We sin willfully. We sin because we're children of Adam and Eve. But God being rich in grace, instead of wanting to eternally punish us, sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die in our place and our behalf, to bear in his own body all of our punishment so that we might be reconciled to God. And the way of receiving that gift is to reach out through simple faith and believe that Jesus is sufficient. And then God does a divine transaction in us and we become followers of Jesus. And then we really amp it up in the area of stewardship. So think about that. Am I living as a steward? Secondly, let's just say, Hey, we're going to hold each other accountable to stewarding this building. So people walking through the hall, we're listening, we're smelling, we're watching. Is there any, are we drifting into self glory into false religion, into hypocrisy and fakery, or are we, really about God. Let's hold each other accountable to that. And then third, let's just pray that every seat would be a blessing. The other night, Thursday night, we had all of our ministry teams here, our greeters, kids, men, musicians, sound techs. Everybody was here. There's about 60 or 70 of us that serve on Sunday morning. And we had some time of instruction. And then we went down out loud, every chair, we prayed out loud, for every chair, that every seat would be a blessing in someone's life. If not today, and in the months and years to come, that the broken would be mended, that the lost would be found, that the disoriented would be reoriented on God, that the hopeless would find hope in Jesus. We prayed that. And we want to keep praying for that, that God humbly uses us to transform people's lives. So Lord, we publicly declare that we are dedicating this space to your honor and to your glory.